Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? They said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, and some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shalt be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Let us pause for prayer. Father God, we thank you for the experience of this day. As we have begun this service with the demonstration of one who has been born anew into your kingdom, we celebrated your great name through prayer and through the hymns and through Aaron's music. And our hearts are full of great mercy and love that has been placed there by your hand. Now, Lord, in these few minutes, would you separate our minds and our hearts from all the cares and things of the world and allow us, if we can at all, to center our minds upon you and open our hearts to be receptive to what you would have to say to us. We know it comes through the power of the Spirit as he works with our spirit. May that which is spoken now have some dynamic effect upon the need of some soul because it's for your name that we pray. Amen. Jesus has been now with his disciples for a considerable period of time. They've been traveling around all over Israel. They have come in contact with all kinds of people from the very poor, the very wealthy, people of no value as far as Roman government was concerned to those that are of tremendous importance within the government. There's lots of rumors now being spread around as to who this young upstart is that's come out of Nazareth and he started preaching and he's been in the temple and in the synagogues and he's even reported to have healed people and all kinds of things are being talked about him. And so he, on this occasion, asked his disciples, what are people saying about me? Who do people say I am? Well, it's fairly easy to answer for somebody else. It's real easy to say what the church says about Jesus or what the neighbor says or what the preacher says or somebody else says. And so it was easy for the disciples to come back with the response. Well, some people uh, 
say that uh, you're Jeremiah or uh, you're Elijah or some say you're John the Baptist that's come back to life or maybe one of the other prophets. John the Baptist had been beheaded not too long before this and the rumor was that John's come back to life and that's who he is there. Others are saying, no, that's Elijah. See, it was reported that Elijah would come back and uh, he would restore the uh, Ark of the Covenant to the holy place in the temple that had been stolen many years before. And, and in olden times, I don't know if this happens today, but the Jews, when they celebrated the Passover, would set a separate seat for Elijah, thinking that he was going to come and announce the coming of, of the Messiah, and they would think that about any time Jeremiah would come, and he would put the, the uh, furniture back in the holy place that was there, the Ark of the Covenant, and some of the other things. And so all of these rumors were running around about who Christ might be, and, and then Jesus turns and says to them, and he, what I can imagine was a very dynamic way when he said to them, and I think he must have looked them directly in the eye and every one of them, he said, well, what do you say? Who do you think I am? I don't know what happened, how much time took place before Peter answered, but I can, I can imagine that there was a little bit of silence. As minds began to turn, because they now were on the spot and were going to have to make a response, to Jesus as to what they thought about him. <coughs> and finally, Peter speaks for the group. He makes his dynamic statement. Thou to Christ, Son of the living God. Why did he know this? Who told him all of this? What kind of revelation did he have? This isn't the thing people have been saying. People being saying, you're John the Baptist, you're Elijah, you're Jeremiah, you're one of the other prophets. And if we would begin to get a little history as to what other people said, Pilate spoke of Jesus. And the only thing Pilate could say, I don't see anything wrong with the man. Napoleon has been reported to say that he's unsurpassed. There was even a French atheist by the name of Renan who said that he is the greatest among the sons of men. Fine statements. Wonderful statements. But Peter says, you're the son of the living God. How did he know? Well, it's interesting that Jesus responds and says, Blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. That's how you know. God revealed it to you. Paul told the Galatians some things about his conversion. You remember that he was very belligerent against the church. 
and was trying to stamp it out and, and wanting to execute Christians and put them in prison and so on. And on the way to uh, the town of Damascus where he intended to arrest some people and bring them back to Jerusalem in order that they might be put there in prison, he was converted. <coughs> he saw the Lord and uh, finally realized that the very one that he was persecuting was truly the Christ. And Paul says to the Galatians in the first chapter of Galatians, beginning the 15th verse, he said, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, and here's the statement I want you to hear, to reveal his son to me. Paul said God revealed his son to me. Back in the book of Job, Job said in the 11th chapter, Canst thou by searching find out God? The point is, if man wants to find God on his own, he's not going to succeed. We cannot discover God except as God wills to reveal himself to us. Jesus said two statements that I want to quote. No man can come to me except the Father which sent me draw him. John chapter 6 verse 44. Then Jesus said on another occasion, and I if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me, making reference to his death on the cross. What is the drawing power of Christ? It is his death that he died for us all, that we might live. But Jesus didn't stop with saying, Blessed are you, Simon, for you didn't get this information from man. You got it from God. He goes on to say, And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, there are lots of passages of Scripture throughout the Bible on which men do not agree. And this is one of them. What did he really say when he said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church? Well, if you were Catholic, or if any of you might happen to be, the Catholic Church teaches that Peter is the foundation and the church was built upon him, based upon this very verse. And the succession in the papal power states that the Pope is infallible because of what is stated in verse 19, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound, and whatever thou shalt loose on earth shall be lost. That statement. Now, in our 
Wednesday night Bible studies, and last week I think I made particular reference to this, or the week before, we must be careful that we do not get a preconceived idea and then find scripture to prove our idea. That's the wrong direction. We should be willing to take our ideas and let the scripture speak about them, and if they're right, fine, and if they're wrong, then we need to make a change. Most of us who are over 50, and that's a big portion of us here, have a tendency to be awfully stubborn when it comes to changing our minds. Right? Everybody except me, that is. So you know, you understand it. Pauline, you understand that I'm not. <laughs> That's just a joke if you didn't get that. We find it difficult to learn something new and put it into our pattern of life when it's contrary to what we've been brought up being taught. I want us to I hope open our minds a little bit this morning and see really what did Jesus say to Peter about the foundation of the church. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, which is a verse that I'm sure most of you have committed to memory, study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There is no substitute for study of God's Word. Until one has studied God's Word, he is hard-pressed to say he knows anything about it. Most of, well, let me take the word most out, but many of the things that we believe, we believe because it has been brought up, uh, we have been brought up with that concept, not because we have approved it ourselves in the Scripture. And the way to know what one believes is to test it against God's word. So let's, let's do that. Are there any other possibilities that might be open to us than to say upon Peter the church was built? And I'm not going to get done this sermon this morning. You may try to finish it tonight. Upon whom or upon what was the church built? Well, we have already indicated that some would say the church was built upon Peter, but I want us to look here a little bit. I'm going to give you a Greek lesson. If you have a pencil, I want to have you write down two Greek words. I have a Greek New Testament in my study. I can, I can hardly read a word of it anymore. I used to be able to read a good bit of it because I took Greek when I was in seminary. That stuff is Greek to me now, uh, if, if you'll pardon the pun, but I do know a few words. Look at what Jesus said. I say unto thee that thou art, and now he calls him Peter, and upon this rock, so we're going to use the word Peter and rock. Thou art Peter, the Greek Right there, for the word Peter is P-E-T-R-O-S. If you want to just jot it down in your mind or on paper there for a minute, I want you to compare. Petros. It means little stone, or if you will, a pebble. Jesus called Simon Peter 
a little pebble. Imagine, if you will, picking up a pebble off the parking lot on his upper level where we have some stone, some gravel. And if I would bring one of those little pebbles into here and show it to you this morning, you would say that really didn't make any difference. You could never go out there and find where I took it from. You would never find it. It's so insignificant that it makes no difference at all. And if Peter is called a little pebble, wonder how small we are, because I consider Peter a pretty good-sized man myself in the eyes of the Lord. He is calling Peter what he is, just a little pebble, who can make a little ripple if you might happen to throw that little pebble into a pool of water. But if you would throw it into the ocean, you'd never even see where it landed. If you would throw it in, in the river, you would never even notice it had hit. But if you would throw it in a little mud puddle out here this morning somewhere, you could see the evidence for just a little while, and then it's gone. He's saying, you, I, you are a little stone. And then he says, but upon this rock I will build my church. And there's a new Greek word. It means, uh, it's spelled P-E-T-R-A, Petra. And it means a huge stone. Jesus said, I'm building my church upon a huge stone. I don't know if any of you have ever been to Atlanta, Georgia, but there's uh, the great stone mountain down there. I remember it being near Atlanta. I was there when I was, before I went to school, but I never forgot the image of it as I looked up that huge stone sitting out there. He, Jesus is saying, up on a mighty rock I build my church. So, we might say then that Jesus did not build his church upon a person, but upon something that has a lot more stability than that. Somebody say, I know what it is. He built it upon faith. Didn't Peter have to have faith? Yes, indeed he did. And listen, unless you have faith and will put that faith into action, then one the person is never going to be saved. Faith is necessary, but what saves a person? What saves? Paul said to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 8, By grace are ye saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest a man should boast. Oh, we are saved by the grace of God, not by anything that we might think, do, or say. But there is a part that we have in salvation, and that is we must believe that Jesus is the Son of God and died on the cross of Calvary for our sins. We must believe that, and if we believe it, then we are in a posture to be saved. So faith has a place to play in salvation, but it is not faith that saves, it's God that saves. By His grace, He saves us. Well, they stayed for baptism, Sherry was baptized this morning. Does that save her? No, not at all. 
She was saved the moment, and I don't know when that was, but I'm assuming last Sunday morning, Sherry. You were saved last Sunday morning when you asked God to perform that miracle in your life. You believed in him and committed yourself to him. Your baptism was nothing more than a demonstration, a public affirmation, a declaration that what took place in the heart, probably back there in the pew, really was true. And you're telling the world by that. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 has something very important to say. Verses 10 and 11 of the third chapter of 1 Corinthians. Here's what Paul says to the church of Corinth. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another build thereon. But let every man take heed how he builds thereon. Here, now notice verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid. There is no other foundation for the church. What is the church built upon? The foundation of Jesus Christ. church belongs to Christ. He fought it with his blood. He died for it. He is his foundation. Now, notice further. He said, upon this rock I will build my church. I will build my church. An ongoing process. And what? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You've heard the old statement, there's nothing certain but death and taxes. I want to say there's three things certain. Death and taxes and the security of the church. The gates of hell cannot even put it under. Now, we're all aware of the fact that for many, many years and decades, it was against the law to assemble in churches in Russia, and many of them were closed, and, and in effect, the church was out of business, it would have appeared. Just recently, the Russian government recognized an error in their judgment and allowed the churches to reopen. And they tell us that the churches are overflowing with people because it was alive all the time. For the hearts of believers were there and they were the church, even though it was not visible to the world in Russia. Church buildings may close and others may open. But the Lord Jesus builds his church in the hearts of people. That's where the church is. He didn't promise us that 
there would be ease in our lives. As a matter of fact, he told us that there would be difficulties and trials and tribulations. Don't anybody ever think that it's easy to be a Christian. It is not. We face our problems. You may remember the advertisement for ragu um, spaghetti sauce. The way I remember it, I'm not sure if it's still on, son comes home from college or somewhere and spaghetti sauce is on the stove cooking and he thinks it's his mom's and she does all those right things only to discover that it came out of a jar and uh, he's very disappointed and his father says, but uh, this is, this is good stuff. And the son says, does it have all the herbs and spices that mom put in there? And his dad said, it's in there. It's in there. Remember that? Listen. We may not look like much. We may not act like much. But I can tell you one thing. The power of the Holy Spirit is in there. And hell itself cannot combat the church that Jesus established upon himself. We'll have our weaknesses of Olive Branch and Madison and Danville and Logan and all over. And we'll be poor little examples of what Christ really wanted. But I can tell you what, the power's in there. Because Jesus put it there. Are you part of that body? Church. I'm not talking about are you a member of the Olive Branch Baptist Church. We all should be members, and I firmly believe this, the Scripture teaches it, that every person who is a believer in Jesus Christ ought to be a part of and an active member of a local body in order to further the work of the Lord. But we're interested only in whether or not the church has now, whether the church has been established in your heart. If the church is established in your heart, you will be one of a number who will be brought together and we collectively will be called the church and he built us on a foundation of himself. Nobody's going to tear that church down. If you're a believer and you're not a member of a church, you ought to become one, a local body. If you are not a declared Christian, some people try to be secretly Christian. I don't think you can do that. But if you're not a declared believer in Christ, and you believe that he's a son of God and died on the cross of Calvary for you, there should be nothing that would stop you from getting out of your seat and coming forward in this church as a demonstration. Hey, I believe what he did on the cross of Calvary and I'm going to take my stand for him. I'm going to declare him. I'm asking the forgiveness of my sin and the saving of my soul by the grace of God. Are you part of the church? That body of believers, most of us have taken that stand, and we say we believe in Christ strong enough that we'll stand for him. Sherry took that stand. 
last Sunday in coming forward and this morning by her baptism, maybe it's time for somebody else to take that stand. Do you believe that he died on the cross for you? Then why don't you get out of your seat and say, I'm going to quit fooling around. I'm going to take my stand where I belong, on the side of the church. Christ built on himself. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.